We're reading today from the prophet Hosea, and it's found on page 732 in the Bibles in front of you, in the pulpit, in the, in the pews. The minor prophet Hosea. The word, of, the, word, the word of the Lord came to Hosea, son of Beri, during the reign of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, the son of Jehoash, king of Israel. Hosea's wife and children. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Goma, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore, him a son, bore her a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her name Lo-Ruhamah, which means not loved. For I will no longer show love to Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword or battle, or by horses or horsemen, but I, the Lord their God, will save them. After she had weaned Elohurumah, Gomer had another son, then the Lord said, Call him Lo am I, which means not my people. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand of the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together. They will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land, for the great will be the day of Jezreel. Chapter 2, verse 1. Say to your brothers, my people, and your, of your sisters, my loved one. This is the word of the Lord. Friends, um, we are looking at the book of Hosea, and it's a uh, very challenging and moving book at the same time. Uh, we will cover chapters 1 to 3 this morning. It's a, it's a unit, and um, let me pray that God would speak. Lord God, we ask this morning that you would speak to us, change our hearts, give us hearts after you and a desire to honour you, to bring glory to your name. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. And so it is good to have your Bibles. We've got the a few Bibles back into the pews so you can follow the text as we go. The question I asked this morning is, are you breaking God's heart today? Do you live for him and for his glory or do you pursue other gods just as an adulterous wife pursues other lovers? 
See, when you chose to follow him, you said you would love him, that he would be your first love, your everything, your consuming passion. You once believed to live is Christ, to die is gain. But maybe you're not so sure now. Things may have changed all too subtly. They've changed in your life. You love other things more than God. And you know that. You chase money, maybe, or career, or comfort, or sex, or acceptance by others more than loving God. Friends, it's easy to lose our focus, to love other things more than God, and it breaks God's heart. So we ask the question as we self-reflect this morning, as we consider Hosea, we have to ask the question of ourselves, are we breaking God's heart? John Piper has these two beautiful quotes on what God calls us to in his book, Don't Waste Your Life. He said, God created me and you to live with a single, all-embracing, all-transforming passion, namely a passion to glorify God by enjoying and displaying his supreme excellence in all the spheres of life. And he says, the greatest cause in the world is joyfully rescuing people from hell, meeting their earthly needs, making them glad in God, and doing it with a kind, serious pleasure that makes Christ look like the treasure that he is. I wonder whether you see Christ as a beautiful treasure, far superior to anything else in the world. For instance, our good news is that despite our faithfulness at times, and I fail and you fail, God remains faithful. He will not give up on his people nor his promises. Our salvation and our perseverance is an act of God's grace as well. Now, the book of Hosea takes us back to the 8th century BC. It's 750 years before Christ, 250 years after King David, setting the scene of where we are. The nation is divided into the north and the south. And in 722 to 721, the northern kingdom was overtaken by Assyria and sent into exile. You've got those 10 tribes in the north gone, taken into exile because of their sinfulness. And God speaks a word of judgment and salvation to this northern kingdom and a nation that was going to experience judgment and exile. Verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So he makes reference to the period of time. These are the kings in Judah, but he's not addressing them. And during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel. He's going to speak into that period of history. But friends, we need to admit that it is people who love you most who can hurt you most. Isn't that true? People who love you most can hurt you most. You can uh, almost trace the degree of potential scale of pain along a scale from the rebuff from a stranger. Sometimes I'm in a shopping center and someone says something rude and you think, you're an idiot. (laughs) And you keep, or what was that about? Or did I do something? But then you get over it. Normally. Or sometimes an upsetting clash with, with a friend. Then there's the ache of the parent-child estrangement. And the most wounding is the betrayal of a marriage. The betrayal of a marriage. And these last two, the parent-child, husband-wife, in a sense, God uses this image, especially the marriage, to portray how deeply God cares for us and how deeply our sinfulness and our rebellion breaks God's heart. Now, Hosea chapter 1 to 3 is a unit, and it narrates the family life of Hosea. It's seemingly a very strange story. 
God asks Hosea to do something very unusual. Because you see, Israel has been like a faithless bride and pursued other lovers and broke God's heart. And Hosea's family life is going to mirror the relationship between God and his people. It is a very significant family, this one. It says, take a promiscuous woman or take a prostitute or take a harlot for a wife. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go marry a promiscuous woman, a wife of harlotry or a prostitute and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Goma, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. So he's asked to marry someone who's involved, involved in some form of prostitution. And we see a woman later who then returns to, a, to another life and leaves him. And is living with someone else, or under the control of someone else. And he has to pay, for, pay money to release her to bring her back. See, God had made Hosea live the tragedy of Israel's unfaithfulness by marrying a prostitute. He says, God says, go, marry this promiscuous woman, take her home. Because she is involved in physical adultery, but God's people are involved in a spiritual adultery. And they're going to mirror one or the other. So just like this woman is guilty of physical adultery, my people, Israel, are guilty of spiritual adultery. And in God's eyes, everyone who forsakes the Lord is a prostitute. There are no religious singles in God's eyes. Either everyone is, uh, either you're faithfully married to God or you're a prostitute. You're serving other gods. You're giving yourself away to something else. And God had made Israel for God. And in one sense, if you get your kicks from somewhere else, you commit harlotry against God. And that was Israel's condition. Now let me say it's also not unusual for God to ask prophets to do unusual things. I'm glad I'm not an Old Testament prophet, aren't you? You see, Isaiah was asked to walk naked through Jerusalem in Isaiah 20, to make a point. No, thank you. Ezekiel was asked not to mourn his dead wife in Ezekiel 24. But even in this command to Hosea, it seems to violate Yahweh's own standards of morality as well. But Hosea did what God said. And then we have three children and they capture our attention. The, the names of the children and who they are is going to speak about God's coming judgment. A son that speaks of judgment, Jezreel, is the first one. So he married Goma and she conceived and bore a son. Call, and the Lord said, call him Jezreel because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre of Jezreel and I'll put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. If you know your Old Testament, and you may not be familiar with this, but Jezreel was synonymous with one of the bloodiest periods in the history of Israel, and abhorrent to God. It included bloody atrocities by King Ahab, an ungodly king, and subsequently in retaliation by Jehu. You can read about it in 2 Kings 9 and 2 Kings 10. Some light reading for this afternoon. Killing and murder, violence, oppression. And God says, I'm going to put an end to the kingdom of Israel. And the name Jezreel will remind you, because it also means God will scatter, that God will come in judgment and scatter you because of the evil that took place. Her military might, the bow of Israel, would be broken. They feel at this time that they're in a secure place. 
and the nation's doing pretty well, uh, they're prosperous, and they think they are safe. But God says, just wait till I come in judgment. And the prophecy was fulfilled in 733 BC when the Assyrian uh, leader, Tiglath-Pileser III, uh, swept across the entire Galilean territory. But be aware that at the time of Hosea's prophecy, it's still a warning. Jeroboam could have changed. The people could have repented, but they didn't. And God then comes in judgment. There's some debates uh, among scholars on whether the next two children are Hosea's children or whether they are acts of adultery. And we're not sure because he's not mentioned, but we can't be sure about that. But he does mention two other children. Let's get to them. Our daughters show no pity. Lo Ruhama. Conceived again, gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call her Loharomaha, which means not loved. God will scatter them. They will be a people who are not loved. For I will no longer show love to the house of Israel, that I should forgive them. Yet I will show love to the house of Judah, and I will save them, not by bow or sword or battle, by, or by horse and horsemen, but by the Lord their God. The northern kingdom didn't acknowledge their sin. They didn't seek forgiveness. So God withdraws his love and his compassion and his mercy and will bring judgment. No longer loved. Remember, the people of God are called by God. A covenant people are loved by, by God. All of a sudden God says, you know how I loved you? I now withdraw my love in judgments. In reference to the southern kingdom, uh, they don't go into uh, exile for quite a while, until 587 BC. They did a little bit better for a period, and God said, no, no, they won't be judged now, it's just the northern kingdom. But in 587, they also went into exile. And the third son, a son that signals divorce. Lo, ami, not my people. Scattered, not loved, no longer my people. Friends, these are terrible words to a nation who think they're God's special people. Now, Lord, call him lo, ami, which means not my people, for you are not my people and I am not your God. God has said in Leviticus 26, I will walk among you and be your God and you shall be my people. And God is saying, no, 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 because of your sinfulness, judgment is coming. But even in that first chapter, having talked about judgment through the three children, he speaks of hope. But before we come to that, let me ask you that application question. The Bible says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Ephesians 4.30. The Old Testament saints were rejecting God they were grieving God. They were breaking God's heart. And I started an introduction, are we grieving God's heart today? Not like they did in Hosea's day. But is Christ our all-consuming passion? Do we love sitting with God and his word? Is God special to us? Is he our treasure? Are we pursuing holiness and godliness? Are we developing a God-dependent prayer life? Are we using our spiritual gifts for the glory of God? Are we reaching the lost in Jesus' name? Are we caring for the poor and the broken? Are we committed to worldwide mission? Do our credit cards and checkbooks give testimony to our commitment to the cause of Christ? And do we look any different to our non-Christian neighbours? Do we speak or live differently to our non-Christian neighbours? Do our marriages look any different to our non-Christian neighbours? Do our children look any different and think differently because of the way we brought them up? Are we breaking God's heart? But there is uh, restoration. 
And uh, we're told here that uh, judgment is not the last word. It says, yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore. And you're reading Hosea, you're thinking, hold on, judgment, judgment, judgment. And all of a sudden, he speaks of hope. And now prophets often do that. Judgment, they speak of the hope to come. The judgment, the hope to come. And it's interspersed here. Because in God's judgment, he's going to bring new life. New life. They'll be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said of them, you are not my people, they'll be called children of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel, notice it, will come together. The north and the south are now going to come together. Now we'll appoint one leader and will come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Jezreel now was, had been judged, now it's going to be a good day. Say of your brothers, my people, and of your sisters, my loved one. A moment ago, we're going to be not his people, not his loved ones. We're scattered. Now he's saying, no, no, a good day is coming, Isaiah says. God will still do a good thing. Friends, the initial fulfillment took place historically when the southern kingdom, by the way, north went into, taken over by Assyria. The southern kingdom was taken over by Babylonia, 587. They were the new world power. But 70 years after exile, they returned to the promised land. And the picture is that some of the Israelites who were scattered and never officially returned, they mixed with the people of the south. So when the return of Judah comes to the nation of Israel, it is seen as the return of Israel and Judah, the 12 tribes. They come together in God's new day, new opportunity. Israel becomes the special name. They're called the Jews, but Israel is a special name, 12 tribes. And when Ezra returned from Babylonia, they offered 12 bulls for all Israel. The nation is united. When Paul writes in Acts 26, verse 7, to King Agrippa, he talks of our 12 tribes. Ten were scattered, but in a sense, God brings everything together under the nation of Israel. But do you know how the New Testament saw this? In Romans 9, 25-26, the Apostle Paul looks at it, and he sees it as a symbol of the incorporation of the Gentiles into the church. The fact that we now, through Christ, can become part of the people of God, part of true Israel... It's a reference to the Gentiles. And he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people. I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. And it will happen that in the very place where it was said of them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. Hosea's fulfillment, or let me put it this way, we are part of the fulfillment of Hosea's prophecy, even as we gather here today. Secondly, is a it describes the tragic separation, verses 2 to 13, we had a chance to read those. Let me make a few comments about that. Israel has uh, committed spiritual adultery. They serve the fertility gods of Baal. Baal was the, the god and the whole idea is you offer sacrifices to this fertility god, make your crops grow better, uh, your, your, your nation is more prosperous, and they had images of these gods, of the Baals. They're involved in also the sin of syncretism. It's not like they rejected God and just served Baal. They served Yahweh and the God Baal. Right? So they're trying to get the best of both worlds. True God and then serve another God. By serving though the other God, they've truly rejected the true God. And God, uh, we see the tragedy. God wants to be her husband, but she is a harlot loving other gods. Verse 4 and 5. I will not show my love to her children because they are the children of adultery. Their mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them in disgrace. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. 
So Israel thinks the Baal gods, the false gods, are giving her all these things. That all she has, she gets from her true husband, but she thinks she's getting it from the Baals. She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine and the oil, who lavished on her the silver and gold, which they used for Baal. And God then will punish, he says in chapter 2, this harlotry. For when he is treated as less than a husband, he shows that he is vastly more than a husband. Therefore, I will take away my grain, and this is verse 9 in chapter 2, when it ripens and my new wine, when it is ready, I'll take back my wool and my linen, intend to cover her nakedness. So now I will expose her lewdness before the eyes of her lovers. No one will take her out of my hands. I will stop all her celebrations, her yearly festivals, her new moons, her Sabbath days, all her appointed feasts. I will ruin her vines and her fig trees, uh, which she said were her pay from her lovers. I'll make them a thicket and wild animals will devour them. I will punish her for the day she burnt incense to the Baals. She decked herself with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers, but me she forgot, declares the Lord. Stop there for a moment. God's coming in judgment to this nation through Hosea. But me she forgot. She thinks she has Yahweh and she's serving the false gods. By having the false gods, she forgot. And a very embarrassing situation happened to me many years ago. I've been running an ICF leadership conference with teenagers at, I think, Stanwell Thompson Conference Centre. And uh, in our conference, we, we, we'd work with a small group all week, right, Monday to Friday. About eight of them, we'd prayed, we shared our stories, we, we cared for one another, and we discipled them. And I was a leader. Had a fantastic time, great group of kids, and uh, a few weeks later, Scripture Union ran a, a special event at the Sydney Town Hall. And so we all went, we looked forward to seeing all the kids from the leadership conference. That was always a special time in a, in a week. And, um, and there's large crowds, people everywhere. And this uh, couple of people came to me, and I recognized one of them, and I didn't recognize the other one. And she looked at me and um, she said, Hi, Ange, how are you? And I, you know, one of those moments, I'm just looking at her and going, I have no idea who you are. What do I say now? You different. I probably know you from somewhere. I just spent a whole week with this kid. And I looked at her and I asked her what her name was. And she was so hurt, so distraught. First she thought I was joking. When she realized I wasn't joking, she put her head down, turned and walked away. So, Alison, if you happen to be watching this live stream 40 years later, I'm sorry. <laughs> I forgot. For Israel, it was not simply a bad memory. It's not that, that sometimes teenage girls from a campsite to, a, to another function dress differently, do their hair differently, put makeup on differently. But Israel had moved on from their God. He wasn't enough for them. They wanted something else. They were syncretists. For instance, it's easy to, and dangerous to be a syncretist. You know, Jesus, when he was talking about you cannot serve both God and money, for example. Sometimes we want to put two gods on the same level. So, no, I love God, but really I love this equally more, or equally as much, or even more. And be very careful 
about being syncretous. An outstanding Christian businessman once was asked about the greatest difficulty in uh, living his faith. He said, no question about it, my greatest difficulty is remembering that I could not breathe a breath, think a thought, envision a plan, earn a dollar, maintain strength, or remain faithful to what I, be- I believe if it were not for the moment, my moment, or the moment-by-moment moment blessing of God. When I forget that, I'm in trouble. Friends, all that we have is by the grace of God. All we have is the beautiful blessing of God. Don't forget. Don't chase after the other gods and break God's heart. Where God is waiting for you to speak to him. God is waiting for you to read his word. God is waiting for you to engage in him. And you are pursuing the other gods. You think you have Jesus. But you're truly chasing other gods. Having spoken about the judgment, his final point from chapter 2 verse 14 to 3, 5. It's about a gracious restoration. There's going to be a brand new day. And I love some of the language in 14, for example. God is going to woo her tenderly. God uses this image, just like a husband and a wife. He says, he's going to treat Israel and try to her back. Woo her back. Therefore, I'm going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness. Take her away from the, the other temptations and speak tenderly to her. Prince. God wants to speak tenderly to you and to me. And if you've chased other gods and you think something else is better, in one sense God is coming to you and saying, Ange, those other things you're chasing will not satisfy. God, those things you're chasing put other things in the place of the true God. And I like the fact that he'll speak tenderly, he'll speak to her heart. He will allure us. He will show us how beautiful and valuable and loving and gracious He is that there is no one like our God. And secondly, He promises, to, promises hope and safety. And, and there I will give her back her vineyards and I'll make the valley of Achor a door of hope. Then she will respond and sing as in the days of her youth, as in the days she came out of Egypt. God is looking for a brand new day where this rebel, this person who chased other gods, finally comes back and sings and worships God and is safe. Uh, the valley of Achor, by the way, was where Israel committed his first unfaithful act to the Lord in the promised land. Do you remember the, uh, they entered the land and Achan kept the forbidden booty and caused the defeat of Ai? Back Joshua. Now, God promises that if his harlot will come home, Achor will no longer be a valley of trouble, but a door of hope. Then verse 18 speaks of more hope. I'll make for you a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the creeping things on the ground, and I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land, and I'll make you lie down in safety. I'm going to make it beautiful for you. Even the animals are going to be at peace with you. I am a good God. Come home. Come home and obey me. And then he says, and I'm going to be engaged to you again, and I'm going to marry you. Verse 19 and 20, I will uh, betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. Fallen, rebellious Israel, I will betroth you, I will betroth you, I will betroth you. We will start over again. We're going to go back to engagement time or everything else that we've stuffed up. We're going to let that go. We're going to start again. Go back on that first date. Start that relationship again. Harlots can start over. They can have righteousness and justice and steadfast love and mercy and faithfulness. 
all will be right between us. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master or my Baal. I'll remove the names of the Baal from her lips. No longer will their names be invoked. It's going to be a brand new day. No more false gods. No, no more Baal. No more statues. But a brand new day. Baal has been removed from your lips. And in chapter 3, 1 to 5, it says, go and love again. And we discover that um, Hosea's wife has run off. She now lives with another person. And someone will say, well, Hosea's free, right? He's done all he could. He'll just let it go, get a divorce. It's all finished. Find a new wife. But no, because he has to model what God does with his people Israel. After judgment, he still goes after. He still pursues her. The Lord said to me, go and show your love for your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Get that? Come on, Hosea. As I love you, you go and do the same thing. Though they turn to other gods and have loved the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver. He pays a price to set her free. And have had a homer and a lethic of barley, whatever that is. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will live with you. I can't imagine being Hosea. What about you? And yet, if I want to understand God's beautiful love for me, I have to think God is willing to show grace. God is willing to forgive. God's willing to give me a second chance, uh, another opportunity to love him, to embrace him, to find newness and life in him. And he says, go and get her, Hosea. You can't leave her there. Go get her. And God says, I'm not going to leave Israel. I'm going to go and get her. I'm going to bring her back from Babylonia. I'm going to reunite them together in one nation. I scattered them. I didn't love them, and et cetera, et cetera. But no, I'm, I'm going to change it all. Go and get her. There will be a time of discipline, verse 4, in chapter 3, verse 4. For the Israelites will live many days without king or princess, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or idol. Judgment is coming, but restoration will be completed, verse 5. Afterwards, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. Let me conclude. In the Old Testament, God goes out of his way to win adulterous Israel back. It's all grace. But friends, more significantly, God's love sends Jesus to the cross to pay the price to buy us back. More than 15 shekels, whatever it was. He pays the price in his blood. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? God's love is relentless. His grace is amazing. His sacrifice is bloody. It's the death of his son. And he woos us back to him through the death of his son. So don't forget him. Don't break his heart. Make knowing and serving him the consuming passion of your life. Amen.